Hello and welcome to this mini episode of Breaking the Barrier, the podcast that hopes to inspire you to go above and beyond what you ever thought possible. Whether you're a new listener or a returning listener, thanks for tuning in. Mini episodes normally only have one of the hosts of this show, and today you've got me, Zach Domigelski. There's no Andrew Lorenzo, because I just want to take a couple of hot minutes to do a quick overview of an event over the weekend, the 2021 Kaiser Great Ocean Road Running Festival, or more specifically, the 44km and 23km marathon, technically an ultra, and half marathon, technically a little bit more than that, events uh, that a lot of people in my local running group, uh, WinFit, did. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to run through the event from my perspective, but hopefully shout out some of the great accomplishments from that running group and the general public uh, over the course of the weekend. Just remember, please rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from and check out the podcast on the socials, Facebook, Instagram, look for Breaking the Barrier. If it's got a picture of a guy with wings on a yellow background, that's us. Check it out. So for those of you who haven't heard of the Great Ocean Road Running Festival, and it's probably one of the most famous events, I'd say, Uh, In Australia, once you get past the events that happen in the capital cities like your Melbourne or your Sydney or the Gold Coast Marathon, which is quite uh, major, the Great Ocean Road Running Festival is probably the big one that lots of people tend to have on their bucket list. Um, It's a very interesting event. It's a point-to-point event uh, where it starts in the town of Lawn uh, for the marathon. And if you're doing the marathon, you then run to Apollo Bay, which is 44 kilometers and 488 meters of elevation. Now, there is a 60-kilometer ultramarathon event that also starts at Lawn, but on the way to Apollo Bay, once you get past the 30k mark or so, you start to turn off and run inland and go up uh, some trails two times. That adds an additional 500 meters of elevation to the course, making it nearly 1,100 meters in total. So the 60-kilometer Great Ocean Road Ultra is definitely more than just 15 kilometers or 16 kilometers above the 44-kilometer marathon. Uh, There's also the half marathon event, which, as I said, is 23 kilometers. It's sponsored by an energy supplement company who we won't mention because we're big fans of Generation UCAN. Let's pretend that they sponsored the event. Uh, The half marathon starts at Kennett's River, which is halfway on the way to Lawn to Apollo Bay. That's pretty convenient. Uh, And it has allegedly 167 meters of elevation, but we'll get into that in a little bit uh, in terms of how that actually handles itself during the event. Um, The important thing when you're doing the Great Ocean Road is you have to make a bit of a decision as to whether or not you're going to stay at the start or at the finish line because there's some buses to navigate as well. If you stay at the finish line and that means you have to get up really, really early and catch a bus to the start line. Alternatively, if you stay at the start line, you have to do the run and then somehow get back, uh, which either involves a bus or someone driving inland because they shut down the Great Ocean Road. And that's the great appeal of this event is that you can run uh, at a pace that normally you're in a car, possibly dealing with sickness, um, and really get to savour and enjoy the scenery. Um, Not that you enjoy the scenery that much in the second half of the race, because you tend to be just hating everything about life at that point, but the first 10 kilometres is really pretty. So I don't know if that's enough to encourage you to do the entire event, but for a lot of people it's worth it. So as I said before, we had from the local WinFit group 17 different people participating across the marathon and the half marathon. But a big shout out to Coach Mark. Coach Mark, who we mentioned on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, um, who had taken some time off just to get himself right as he went through a, a bit of a health scare. 
Turned out the day before we were all meant to go down to Apollo Bay, Mark got shingles. Um, and so his race was done, which is an absolute shame because he was in such great form and had been training so well for that. So bad luck, Mark. Our commiserations to you, but you are in awesome form. Uh, and I can't wait to see what you do in a couple of weeks' time or months' time uh, at your next event. So a bunch of us went down to Apollo Bay. We stayed there. Um, it's always interesting the night before an event like that, even if you're not going out and taking it quote unquote seriously, everyone's got their, their own little routine and, and no one tends to sleep well. There was a lot of people waking up the next morning saying that they'd been awake all night. I think in a house that had 14 or so people in it, there probably would have some been someone awake every minute of that night uh, between people just sort of sitting there being a little bit nervous about what was to come. Something that was driving us a little bit crazy in the lead up to the event is trying to work out what the actual weather was going to be. Melbourne is well known for having four seasons in one day and we were just getting nothing from the weather forecast. We knew there was going to be some rain, but the amount of rain that there was going to be kept changing. It felt like every hour the day beforehand, we were a little bit uncertain as to what the wind was going to do as well. We knew that running into a headwind on this course was not going to be any fun when you combine it with the hills, but the wind tended to be swirling around a bit and we were kind of hoping we were going to get some crosswinds. And so that meant we were trying to work out, do we wear gloves? Do we wear long leggings? Do we wear vests? Do we wear beanies? What, what do we do? So basically, we just chucked everything into our bags and uh, took them to the start line to figure it out then. Uh, the bus ride from Apollo Bay to Lawn is always interesting. Uh, two years ago was the first time I did it. This is actually my third time I did the Great Ocean Road. The first time I started at the start. So I stayed there the night before and just got a lift to the start line and then ran the race and then had to deal with getting home after feeling sticky and disgusting. Um, in 2019, I stayed at the finish line and that's great because after you finish the race, you can go have a shower. And then if you stay that night, uh, you then just come home on the Monday, which is a lot easier. But it means you do have to get the bus from the finish line to the start. Two years ago, the bus we were in was an old, beat up, felt like and smelt like it. it had about 100 footy teams through it. The bus driver was absolutely insane. I don't know if he was running late or he was still coming down from the night before, but it was a bit of a, a hectic bus ride. This time, it was better. I'm going to lead with that. It was a much smoother ride. There was a lot less nausea uh, and complaining from the people I was with and the bus in generally. Um, but it was a little bit chaotic getting to the start line. One of the WinFit runners, Simon, who's been on the podcast before, uh, had turned up the night before and realized he hadn't brought his shoes. And so he was relying on someone to get him shoes to the race in some format. We thought the shoes were going to the start line. It turned out the shoes had come to the finish line. And so Simon actually missed the bus he was meant to be on and had to catch a later bus, but he got his shoes and that worked out pretty well from him as you'll hear. But the bus driver himself, he wasn't having a great day, to be honest. Um, the first corner he went into, I think had a, uh, had a speed limit of 45 kilometers an hour. And I think he thought there was a one at the start of it because we went through it very, very hot. After that, he started to calm down a little bit in terms of speed, uh, but he seemed to have a big aversion to crossing the white line in the middle of the road. And so that meant he was hugging the left-hand side of the drive all the way there. And by hugging, I mean, he hit a traffic sign. He took that thing out pretty bang loudly. Um, he brushed a tree. And a couple of times, I reckon he came within a whisker of losing a mirror 
on the cliffs along the Great Ocean Road there, which for me, given I was sitting in the very front row on the very passenger side, um, I was seeing all that uh, very, very closely. So a bit of a, a white knuckle uh, moment for me. Uh, the other white knuckle moment that nearly drove the entire bus crazy was when he stopped at the halfway mark and started to ask where to drop us all off. And this is a bus that is full of some already very nervous marathoners and half marathoners. So thankfully, uh, my running life partner, Daryl, was sitting beside me and managed to just lean over and let the bus driver know that A, he was not meant to be dropping us off at the halfway mark, and B, he had 60 people behind him that were about to lose their shit if he had tried to do that. And so the bus driver um, just basically deferred to Daryl for the rest of the trip, to be honest, including where to drop us off at the end. But eventually we made there, and from what I could tell, uh, no one was sick, which is always a good thing before the event. Uh, the event itself, start line etiquette. They said there was one and a half thousand people there at the start of the marathon and the ultramarathon. Uh, the actual results don't bear that out. It doesn't look like there was that many people across the two events. It felt similar to 2019. Uh, it, was, it was, you know, people were trying to maintain social distancing as they could, but it was also very, very cold. We're talking about five degrees Celsius at the start line with some, some wind coming up. But once the sun rose, and we got a little bit of sun on us, it was a lot better, to be honest. Uh, we were sitting there with you know jumpers on and gloves and beanies, and about 15 minutes before the uh, race was meant to start, when the, you know, the bus that was going to do the bag drop, where you drop your stuff off and then they take your bags to the finish, um, we were stripping off clothes and putting them into the bag drops at the very, very end, making sure that we didn't run and overheat. Because in those events, unless it's freezing, you will heat up very, very quickly. Uh, and they say that somewhere around about 7 degrees Celsius is the optimal temperature to be running in anyway. So we, we were pretty good. We were pretty close to that. Um, it was an interesting decision by the organizers to tell people to drop their bags off at the budget truck, but then park a second budget truck in a different car park. Uh, and as they started to close the correct budget truck, there was probably about 15 to 20 marathoners having to do a little bit too much sprint work just before a race to get their actual bags to the right place. But amusing for the rest of us who knew what we were doing uh, and had organized ourselves. So around about 8 a.m. Uh, we started off. The start of any sort of event like that is pretty slow. It's pretty packed in. Uh, the run out of Apollo Bay starts with a bit of a climb um, through a, you know, some of the beautiful suburbs there and some of the, the big houses. As my wife likes to say, there's a lot of money uh, in lawn uh, and you can definitely see it when you look at some of the properties. I had a goal for myself of getting the entire event done within four hours. Um, and so I started with Simon. Simon had a goal to get under four hours for the marathon itself. And so my advice to him in the first kilometers or so was just make sure you don't go past me, Simon. Because if I'm trying to do the whole thing in four and you only want to do the 42 in four, if you're in front of me, that's probably not the right thing to do. So Simon was with me maybe for a couple of kilometers at the start. And then pretty much from about the three kilometer mark, I was on my own. Um, and listen, the, the race is fine. There wasn't a lot of talking. I tend not to talk that much these days because I don't have enough air to spare on these things. Uh, and the first, you know, honestly, half of the race, the first 21 kilometers was pretty cruisy. Um, I know the numbers say that we do, you know, more than half the elevation, nearly, you know, 60% of the elevation in the first 21 kilometers or so. But apart from one big hill in there, it really didn't feel that bad. Uh, it was noticeable, the wind, whenever we went into some of the dips and they came through and hit us. 
But apart from that, the, the race was proceeding quite well. There was a nice bit of sun. Um, it wasn't too cold. It wasn't too hot. There was no rain. The first half of this event was about as perfect as it, as it could be, to be completely honest. Um, and then when we got to Kennett's River, which is the halfway mark, you then go straight into the two main hills, which feel quite substantial. Um, the second half of the race, because you're tired and maybe because you've exerted so much energy on the first half, feels really, really hard. Uh, and from the 26 kilometer mark, you are just climbing for two kilometers and, and it is fairly tough. I think the big advantage I got going into this event was in my training, I've really been concentrating on learning to run fast and hard downhill. So on the uphills, I just ground up them as what I could. I tried to not let my pace go over six minutes a kilometer. I had to be averaging about 5.20 to get my whole thing done in four hours. Uh, and so what I tried to do is have those grinds up the hill not drift out past say your 5.45 or so, which I managed to hang on to. And then on any downhill bits, I just let myself go. And I tended to be running those downhill bits at comfortably less than five minutes a kilometer. So overall, I knew at the halfway mark that I had a bit of a buffer uh, and that I'd banked a bit of time. And all I really wanted to do was hang on in the second half, which in Great Melbourne tradition, it decided to challenge me on because from about the 33 kilometer mark, uh, the weather that had been threatening to hit us definitely hit us. Now, at this point, uh, you know, the 33 kilometer mark, I was, you know, approaching two and a half hours, two hours, 45 minutes out on the road. That meant that anyone who had done the half marathon had finished at that point, or most people had finished at that point. Um, and even some of the really elite marathoners were getting close to finishing. But for everyone else that was out on the course, your slower half marathoners or us mere mortals in the marathon event itself, um, we copped that weather straight in the face. And it was pretty tough, I'll be completely honest. Um, I had carried my phone and my headphones with me. And so at about the 33 kilometer mark, I decided, right, I'm not gonna be able to do this on myself. Uh, not gonna be mentally strong enough. I kinda need a little bit of a boost here. And so I threw on the, uh, the headphones and, and put some music on and really pumped myself up. Um, it was pretty emotional, actually. I found myself a um, bit of a tangent, thinking a little bit about my dad. It was my dad's birthday the next day and he passed last year. Um, and so, you know, his the, the date of his passing will be in a couple of weeks time as well. And there was just a little bit of music that I was listening to at that time that just got me thinking a little bit about that. But it really locked me into what I was trying to do. I think I was in a probably the mentally weakest point there and just getting those tunes in, getting some pumped up tunes and then thinking a little bit about my dad gave me a bit of a higher purpose and definitely helped helped me lift what I was doing uh, and try and really concentrate on my pace in that second half and, and getting into, they say, the last 10 kilometers of any marathon uh, is you know, half the race in itself. Um, so if you're doing 44 Ks, I guess the 11 kilometers from 33 is, is the tough half. So I definitely found myself with a bit of a left lift there. Um, as I sort of ran along, I actually found myself catching some of the, the fellow wind fitters. Um, I, I ran past Darren at about the 38 kilometer mark. Now he had had some cramps, unfortunately. Um, he had had an excellent start of the race, you know, much faster than myself, um, but hit some cramps at the 38 kilometer mark, which was a real shame. And so I ended up going past him. And then I was extremely surprised to pass Felicity. So Felicity, um, is an excellent runner. She won the Werribee Mansion event, the half marathon a couple of weeks ago, and she came second in the ultra event 
in this race in 2019. Um, Felicity's name was mentioned at the start when they were running through the names of the people who were expected to do a really good time there. Her name was mentioned. Unfortunately, and this is just so tragic, she had rolled her ankle uh, at about the 23 kilometer mark. So around about halfway, she rolled her ankle uh, and that had really slowed her up. And she had just been gritting out the second half of the race um, to try and finish it, which is a shame because she was uh, on an absolute flyer of a time and was looking very comfortable uh, to go somewhere around about three and a half hours uh, for the whole event. So unfortunately, uh, I went past Felicity. I, I kind of was running and I flashed up on her and I went, oh, what happened? And she went, rolled my ankle, keep going, and basically yelled at me. And I feel like, um, A, she didn't really want anyone running with her at that point. And two, uh, she might have been furious at me if I, if I dared slow at that 41 kilometer mark. Uh, so I kept running past Felicity. Uh, and then I ended up crossing the line for the marathon distance in this event in about three hours 42, which is a little bit slower than how fast I went in 2019. In 2019, I got into the 330s just uh, for this event, uh, but I managed to get 342 for the marathon distance. Uh, and then at that point, a lot of people in this event, once they've done the marathon distance, they tend to stop. But I'd based my entire plans for this event on running the whole distance within four hours. So I actually kept my pace going uh, and so kept going along at a fairly nice clip. And I actually passed Donna um, from the WinFit group as well. She had run a faster time than me overall. She'd ran about a, a 3.40. So she was a couple of minutes ahead of me in the actual marathon event. But then once she'd crossed the line, she actually slowed her pace a little bit and I managed to go past her uh, at about the 43 kilometer mark. We, we ran for a little bit there, but she'd done her race and I was on a bit of a mission. So I just kept going. Um, I briefly saw my family as I came into the finish shoot. I think my youngest daughter had plans about running to the end with me, but I ran straight past her because I wasn't gonna let my time get away. And I ended up finishing the event uh, in three hours, 54 minutes and 26 seconds, which was pretty good. Um, again, not as fast as I went in 2019, but considering the weather on the day, considering I've been dealing with a little bit of uh, turned out to be plantar fasciitis, uh, which wasn't exactly the, uh, the, the prep I needed to get a week out from the race and dealing with a bit of injury, um, I was pretty happy with that to finish in that time. What I was really happy with is I finished with a negative split. And so what that means is I actually went faster in the second half of the marathon than the first half. And the reason why that's important is it shows that, you know, you're in control of your running and you're actually not overextending it. Um, one of the big pitfalls that affects marathon runners, and yes, Daryl, I'm talking to you, is that they go out really, really hard in the first half of the race, but they can't back it up in the second half of the race. Now, some people swear by that strategy and they say the tactic is to go out hard, bank a bunch of time and then try and um, you know recover or not lose all that time that you've banked in the second half, that doesn't work for me. I like to run a really, really flat run. Uh, so in this case, I got through the half marathon in an hour 52, but I did the second half of the marathon in an hour 51. So I was a minute faster in the second half. And if you look at my splits, uh, what that means is you know I had a very, very flat pace all the way through, which was, um, which was pretty awesome. So I, I sort of crossed the finish line, got my medal. Uh, then I saw Troy from Winfit. Troy from Winfit had had an absolute belter. He did the marathon uh, in, you know, 
three hours 30 or something. I think he finished the whole event in 3.35. So he was 20 minutes ahead of me. Um, he was there. Donna came in you know, very soon after me. Uh, and then I saw Simon and Felicity finish. And Simon finished his first ever marathon in sub four. He actually went eight minutes or seven minutes under sub four, finishing in three hours, 53 minutes or so, uh, and was only just outside four hours for the entire event. So a great run by Simon, finally getting that four hour marathon monkey off his back. Uh, and then we saw Felicity. Uh, and honestly, Felicity's second half of the marathon um, was a time that would have, you know, was really good for someone who did it on a busted uh, ankle or a twisted ankle was just absolutely amazing but it felt terrible sort of seeing her hobble off um, needing to work out what we were doing with her logistically you know keeping her warm trying to look after her but also giving her space to herself um, it was just really really tough to see such a, a you know a strong athlete go down like that um, apart from that it was then just a case of really hanging around and waiting for the rest of the crew to come through um, Simon and I amused ourselves by repeatedly walking up and down a hill to the bag drop where we were collecting our bags. Um, tip for organizers, you want as flat a surface as possible. Please don't make marathoners walk up hills after we've done 44 kilometers. It's not fun. Um, it was like the army of the walking dead there with everyone groaning and limping around. Um, but that kept us going. Um, got some chalky milk in, got a sausage roll. Um, Simon went and paid way too much for a salad roll of some description, but you know he seemed happy. Caught up with a couple of the other WinFit runners. So Francis, Darren, saw Bill from Point Cook, saw Gareth finish. Lots of great runs, lots of people going, uh, you, know, you know, within the four hour range, uh, not within the four, within the four to five hour range for the marathon. Um, but where we were waiting is we were waiting for our friends, Daryl and Jenny, because uh, Daryl had crossed the line and Daryl's theory is on the Great Ocean Road, once you've done the marathon distance, you don't worry at all. Uh, about everything that happens after that. The last 2.3 Ks are irrelevant. So when Daryl crossed the line, he said, right, I'm gonna wait for, for Jenny to finish as well. Unfortunately, Jenny had a bit of a hold up uh, at the halfway point at Kennett's River. And so she was a lot further behind uh, than we expected. And she was running with another friend of ours, Nicola. Um, Nicola, who was on an episode beforehand talking about the uh, backyard ultra she did. And so they were running a little bit slower. Uh, poor Daryl ended up spending about an hour <laughs> waiting at the finish line for the marathon distance, waiting for Jenny and Nicola to come along before they could cross the line together. Uh, and to give you an idea of, of how long he was there, once you cross the finish line, um, it then starts to measure your distance from the 42 kilometer mark to the 44 and a half. And most people in our group were doing it between 12 and 20 minutes or so. Uh, Daryl's recorded time for the last 2.3 kilometers was an hour and eight minutes. So he spent a bit of time hanging out there. Um, he tells me that there was no one there handing out beers. I don't know, we'll see about that. But nonetheless, you know, a gentleman's effort. Um, to actually make sure that, that Jenny got home right. Um, partly because there was no way that Jenny or Daryl could get home without Simon or me, um, because we're the only ones that had car keys. Um, but we all managed to get home. Uh, you know, obviously food, or showers and food was the, uh, the priority afterwards. But so far, apart from, uh, you know, the normal aches and, and irrits that you get, you know, sore ankles, sore quads, um, everyone feels pretty good today. So um, that's my recap 
of the 2021 Great Ocean Road Running Festival. For those of you who haven't checked it out, I definitely encourage it. It is a bit of a bucket list event and it's worth doing. You do need to train. Uh, you do need to really have a strong second half in you to make sure that you can get through that second half of hills. I still need to go check them out. I just don't understand how it can be so much less in the second half because it definitely feels a lot harder. But it is a great running festival community down there. Lawn and Apollo Bay, Definitely put on a great show uh, and make sure that all the runners feel welcome. So from Breaking the Barrier podcast from WinFit, um, for everyone listening, congratulations to the organizers. Congratulations to all the winners. Congratulations to everyone from WinFit. And I hope you enjoy this episode. If you've got any questions or you'd like to know more, again, jump onto the Facebook community or onto the socials such as Instagram and let us know. Apart from that, thanks for listening, and I hope this podcast inspires you to go above and beyond what you ever thought possible.